0: Deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. After knocking off the two-time defending champions of the SEC East, the Gators improved to 6-0 and ascended all the way to 8th in the polls. Once the smoke cleared from the 21-3 triumph over Missouri, everyone imagined the narrative moving forward would be solely focused on the battle of undefeated rivals under the lights in Death Valley. But Monday brought multiple stories that changed the tenor of the conversation with both the shocking suspension of quarterback Will Greer and the surprising resignation of Steve Spurrier. On today's show, we'll address all of the above while also getting into the nuts and bolts of the Florida LSU showdown. We'll find out what Kelvin Taylor has done to adjust to his new role as an every down back, recall classic showdowns in Death Valley with Mick Hubert, learn how Randy Shannon has energized the linebacking core, and hear some timeless stories about the head ball coach from some of his former Gator stars. But first, it was certainly a tumultuous week in Gator Nation with the news that broke on Monday, so we wanted to start out today's show by letting you hear from Jim McElwain and Gator Zone senior writer Scott Carter. Before delving into the matchup against Leonard Fournette and the Tigers, Scott helped to dispel some of the rumors that have been circulating about Will Greer and separate fact from fiction.
2: best case scenario at this point seems to be uh you know maybe mid season next year or he does have an opportunity to appeal, and if somehow he gets a positive uh, result from the appeal, maybe he can come back earlier than that. but if this does hold out like the incident boy testing policy does let's say he doesn 't come back for a year he 'd be eligible to return mid season next year he'd be classified as a red shirt sophomore, so he would have you know next season and then two more years of eligibility remaining and there were other reports that are kind of silly and laughable that he'd gained, you know, 45 pounds or whatever since he's been at UF. That's not true. His first physical at UF in January of 14 when he arrived, he's 6'2", 183. In August, he was checked in at 6'2", 203, so a 20-pound gain, which, you know, if you know about how the college football works and these players, when they get here, they're put into a very regimented uh, weight training and uh physical workout routine and so guys are going to gain weight naturally so you know there's just whenever a story like this breaks Adams, as you know there's all kind of information out there so that's at least a couple of factors that we can clear up here
0: he knows we're here for him
2: and he also
0: knows as with whatever guys that have missed throughout the season next guy up and he reiterated that to the football team which i thought you know what that speaks volumes for his character
1: So now, next man up, what should we expect to see from this offense? What aspects will have to change with Treon Harris running the show?
2: Well, Harris is more of a mobile quarterback maybe than Greer, although Greer has certainly shown that he can run with the ball. A lot of his runs are just pocket breaks down, he takes off. Treon Harris, they'll probably have some more designed runs for him. That's kind of been the uh, MO with him at quarterback. He also uh, has shown the ability to throw a, a nice deep ball. Uh, I think he's had issues maybe in the accuracy on some of the mid-range throws. But I, I would imagine if the offense maybe some more zone, Own reads, uh, zone options where he'll have the uh, ability to make a decision to run or throw on certain plays and then see what he can do. The other big news of the week before we talk about
1: LSU is, of course, Steve Spurrier announcing his resignation from South Carolina, not a retirement, as he was quick to point out, <laughs> just a resignation. I know you had a chance to spend some time with him this summer. Is this a surprise
2: to you this happened so quickly? It was really neat to kind of get to see him out of the spotlight. And he's pretty much like he is in the spotlight. I mean, he he's just a regular guy, tells you like it is, and loves the game of football, loves to talk about it, and I think loves coaching. But, you know, at this point in his career, I don't think he's ready to rebuild South Carolina again. And He even spoke at, during his press conference. He's become kind of a liability in recruiting right now, and he wants to let that program uh, get out from under him and kind of start over. Speaking of
1: recruiting, the number one overall recruit from a few years ago was Leonard Fournette. Sometimes guys don't quite live up to the hype. Sometimes they surpass it. He would seem to be in the latter category. He is an absolute monster for the Tigers.
2: Yeah, Leonard Fournette, he's brought back memories of Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson. I mean, that's how good this guy is. I think just a powerful quick just a kind of a different runner i mean three consecutive 200 yard games first running back in sec history to do that that's pretty much all you need to know because you know what what this league has produced from that position over the years Uh, he's as good as any i'm already over a thousand yards and he's only about five games into his sophomore season when he's got the ball, he's a load to bring down. Uh, everything LSU does offensively revolves around Leonard Fournette. Uh, they don't exactly have a dangerous passing game with Brandon Harris, but when you're, when you're averaging about 350 yards rushing, you don't necessarily need to throw it a lot at him.
0: Let's face it, this uh, running back they have should be celebrated because this guy's a real deal. And uh, a lot of fun to watch play the game. And has taken his game and they've developed him to be – not only one dimensional but multi dimensional
1: it seems so simple. Stop fournette and you can beat lSU. Everyone knows that going in. This is a Florida defense that's second in the SEC against the rush, but it's just so much more
2: complicated than that because of how good they are and how physical they are. I think one thing that can have Florida early in the season we've seen that they have really good depth up on the defensive line they're rotating you know as many six, seven guys in that group so Keeping those guys fresh against a back like Fournette is imperative because he's going to wear your defensive line down. LSU's offensive line is pretty good. I mean, they're, he's not doing all this by himself. Those guys are blocking, making holes for him. But he's the kind of guy who rarely comes down on first contact. So that's going to take its toll on any defense. And So the more players you have to kind of get in and out and take some of those hits and stay fresh, That could help them late in the game, maybe when he starts getting a little tired. So I I think players like John Bullard, inside Joy Ivey, Caleb Brantley, Taven Bryan, those young defensive tackles, they're all going to be key to kind of putting a body on uh, Fournette early and maybe uh, allow the defense to kind of swarm around him because that's one way Florida plays defensively. You know, they like to swarm to the ball, and Fournette's going to have it a
1: lot. The obvious storylines here, Fournette on the LSU side, then Treon Harris running the Gator offense. But
2: outside of that, what are some other keys to this matchup in your mind? If you can stop Fournette from a Florida perspective and force Brandon Harris to throw, Florida would feel pretty good about putting him in long-throwing situations because he doesn't exactly... Uh, have impressive stats. He hasn't been relied on to carry that offense. So uh, that would be key for Florida, forcing some passing situations and maybe force some mistakes. Both of these teams are very good at forcing turnovers. Uh, They're 1-2 and in the conference in turnover margin. Florida's a plus-8. LSU's a plus-6. And on the flip side, I mean, uh, LSU – has a great secondary like Florida. If you follow Twitter closely, you're on social media, you know this whole DBU debate that broke out uh, over the summer between these two schools. And, uh, you know, they had a little fun with it, but also when they get on the field Saturday, both units are going to be out to prove uh, each other that, hey, we are the best. So, I mean, it's, it's going to be a typical SEC slugfest from my view.
0: They don't hurt themselves and they make you earn it. There's only seven explosive runs against them all year and only 13 passes. So that tells you something about the quality of defenders they have there. Growing
1: up as the son of a legend is never an easy task, but it's a challenge that Kelvin Taylor has taken head-on in every sense. Not only did he choose to attend the same school as his famous father, but also playing the same position, no less. Taylor has had a breakout junior season as Florida's featured back, And we started our conversation with him by asking how the locker room has handled a tough week leading up to a critical game.
3: Guys have responded very well. I say um, we're just taking it um, day by day, and we're looking forward to just playing our game on Saturday and just going out there um, during this week preparing for this big game and we're just going to focus on the now and just take care of the now and um, everything else will take care of itself. Treon Harris will be the starting quarterback on Saturday at LSU. With him under center, what
1: does that do for the offense? How's it going to look?
3: I think it's going to look wonderful. Treon, he don't play it in some big games so the guy never really get rattled at all and he just stay calm so I, I feel like we're going to have a great game and um, we're going to have a great time out there playing fun.
1: In terms of confidence, it's such a critical part of the game knowing that he's Played in difficult environments, he's led this team before. How much does that help all the guys behind him to feel good going into this showdown?
3: It's gonna make him feel that much more confidence because he know like all of us got his back and we're gonna support him because we know he's gonna do wonderful. And he just got to go out there and just play his game. And he's um preparing well this week in practice so he got all of the tools and everything he needs so I feel like he's ready to just go out there and just have a great game. Your role has sort of changed a bit this year. The last couple of seasons you split carries for the
1: most part. Now you've become somewhat of featured back getting in close to 30 carries a game. Mm-hmm. How has that changed your
3: preparation
1: the way you approach the game?
3: Pretty much just during the week I always take care of my body watching a whole lot of film and just doing like the little things eating right during the week and don't put all type of bad food in your body. I feel like just like the little things, talking to my father, always stretching at times. And at nighttime, just doing a little bit more, recovering things like getting in the cold tank. Just making sure like my body um, is top shape. So come Saturday, I'll be ready to go. We live in this world of fantasy football now where people
1: just think about stats and numbers. So you look at 13 carries compared to 28 carries. It yeah. doesn't mean that much to fans. But yeah. for you physically, how difficult is that in such a taxing league
3: like the SEC? I feel like as me, as a running back, long as the game goes, the like the stronger I get in the game. So I feel like the more carries I get in the game, that's the stronger I get in the game. A lot of people have noted that your running style this year seems to have changed in terms of really
1: quick first step and that burst of speed. How much of that was stuff that you worked on during the offseason?
3: Um, I worked on it a whole lot, just doing it with Coach Kent and those guys. They always worked on different twitches, and just we do a lot of sandbag work. I feel like those guys did a great Great job with me, and just getting my body ready to go through a, a um, long season. So my cuts are way quicker, and I feel like the um, off-season
1: program did it. You're something of the wily old veteran now in terms of the running back room. you got two freshmen there in Jordan Cronkite and Jordan Scarlett who obviously are seeing what you're doing. Yeah. What's your role in terms of mentoring them and, and making sure that they're on the right path?
3: Pretty much I just tell those guys to just don't cheat yourself and always work hard and um, everything else will pay off for you. And I love those guys, but they're like my little brothers. They're very funny, all of them. And we have a great time in the running back room. And Coach Skip, he do a wonderful job with us, making us feel like, We're his younger brothers, and he's a really vocal coach, and he gets you going in practice. So all of us just as a group, we're um, on the same page, and we're focused, and we're just ready to win more ballgames you're at the point in your career now where you've been a
1: part of a lot of really big games and big moments so when you look back and reflect on that what's been your favorite moment as a Gator
3: hands down last year when we went in there and beat Georgia man my brother uh, Matt Jones man we had a wonderful game I mean we just was taking what it was giving us and that was hands down my favorite game as a Gator it's nothing like just playing in Jacksonville Stadium where I remember when I was like six or five years old, just in the box watching my dad play. And then now I'm on the same field, doing the same thing, scoring touchdowns. So, I feel like um, that was my hands-down favorite game as a kid.
1: You won't be on the field the same time as he will, but Saturday Leonard Fournette is going to be on the other side. A guy that's getting so much hype nationally, everybody's talking about him. When you watch Leonard Fournette, what do you see that makes him so effective?
3: Man, the guys have it all. He got it all great burst of speed, very powerful. He's a great pass blocker. Um, He's a grown man. The guy could do it all. Great vision, upper size, strong. It's not any hype at all about him. He's the real deal.
1: LSU is known for having one of the toughest environments of all in college football. What's been the toughest you can remember playing in to this point in your career?
3: When well, we went up there to Tennessee last year, man, that place get going. That place get rocking. But, I mean, my freshman year, we played LSU, and in the daytime, it was loud. But I'm looking forward to a night game in Death Valley. It's going to bring the best out of you.
1: Earlier this week, Steve Spurrier announced he was leaving South Carolina. I know you did not have a chance to play for him, but your yeah. dad did. <laughs> what has he told you about the head ball coach and what that experience was like?
3: Oh, man, my dad loves Steve. My dad told me lots of story about um, what Steve told him as a freshman. I remember one time he told him, say, Freddie, man, you know what? I don't know why um, I recruited you, Freddie. <laughs> like, my dad looking like... Yeah, they one of the top recruits coming out. But Steve always gave my dad a hard time, but my dad always said it brought the best out of him, man. He loved the man to death, and um, he shot him a text message um, last night as soon as um, he announced that. So my father, um, him and Steve, they had a very close relationship, and they still does. When you look
1: right now at where this team is at, top 10 ranking, undefeated, You grew up as a Gator. What
3: does it mean to see Florida back in this position? This is where it needs to be. This is where Gator Nation always needs to be. Gator Nation is something special about this tradition. It's a wonderful program, and this is what it's all about right here. Gator Nation always should be in the top ten, and we should always be playing for SEC championships. So we like the spotlight, and we're going to embrace it, and we're just going to keep balling.
1: I know how focused you are on what's going on on the field. When you're off the field, you have some free time. What do you like to do to
3: cut loose? What is Kelvin Taylor's ideal afternoon off? I like to go to the movies, um hang out with my friends, play Madden, play 2K, get ice cream, I FaceTime my dad, um FaceTime my mom, and just eating a lot. I love eating a lot. Go to all different types of restaurants in Gainesville. So, I'll say all of those different things, but if, if like I say if we have a, like a long break, I love going paintballing, ride go-karts, go down there to Jenny Springs, hang out have a good time. So, yeah, that's pretty much it.
1: Final question for you. As you prepare for LSU this weekend, what are going to be the keys? What's going to make the difference when you go into Death Valley?
3: Just um, doing all the little things right. Stay focused. Don't let the game never get too big. Just go in there and um – um Keep all of our teammates on the same page. Just go in there and just play your game, and Don't try to do nothing too spectacular. Just let the game come to you, and we'll be fine. And we're just going to go out there and just show everybody what Gator Nation really is about, so we can't wait. Hey, hey. While Kelvin knows a good bit about Steve Spurrier from
1: his dad, We wanted to get some thoughts on the HBC from the man who called every game that he coached at Florida. So before reliving some classic showdowns in the Bayou, Mick Hubert reflected on Spurrier's career and zeroed in on why he thinks the resignation was so sudden.
0: When it's time to do something, don't hesitate, do it now. And he felt, you know, he just couldn't get it done anymore the way he wanted to get it done. So, you know, that that day and really this week has been kind of sad. I mean, on the one hand, it's been a time to celebrate all that he's done and one of the great iconic names of college football, a player, coach, all of those things. uh, He needs to be celebrated. But by the same token, you know, my Saturdays are filled with the Gators, And then if I'm not doing the Gators, I'm watching Steve Spurrier. That part of Saturday is gone now. Uh, He's no longer on the sidelines, so we'll miss that. And certainly when he was here for the 12 years, I don't know of anybody that worked at the UAA who didn't just love Steve Spurrier, not because he was winning championships, just because of the interaction that you had with him, whether it was just passing in the hallway or on the sidewalk or wherever it was. He always had a name for you. He, if he didn't know your name, he would give you a name and he'd be consistent in calling you the name that way. You know, I remember we had one basketball yesterday, Joel Glass, He's with the Orlando Magic now. And one time he was talking with Steve and he says, well, what's your name? He said, Where, where'd you go to school? And he says, Coach Spurrius, so I went to Iowa. He goes, you went to Iowa? He said, well you're a Hawkeye man then. And he was always Hawkeye man from that point forward. That's just one illustration of how he would call you by name and made you feel special. I mean, he treated me great, but I think he treated media people great. Uh, I think he understood uh, the media has a job to do, and he enjoyed telling stories. The Monday news conferences, they were actually on Tuesdays back then, and it wasn't a big formal setting. It was just rather informal, and he would give you the scouting report and talk about the team and give you all kinds of little stories and stuff. And He would just, he'd feel like he was just in a room with your grandfather. I mean he was just talking and it would just go on and on. He, and he it just it just didn't want he just didn't want it to end. He would just keep talking and you know, now coaches they race in, they race out. And again, this was a different generation, I guess. It was twenty five years ago and, and we were running left and right. Uh, but it was just such a joyous time. When Steve left, you know, we had the one national championship here and then we won two cents. But I'll never forget 1996 and, and that 52-20 victory over Florida State. And that's the greatest game I've ever been a part of. And we could win five more national titles. And I don't know that it will ever come close to what that was and, and the way that felt. You know, we've been through a little rough times here and certainly starting out this year undefeated. It's a feel-good season. But this was a feel-good decade. I mean, this was uh, every time I went to the ballpark, he just knew we were going to win. It was a matter of how much we were going to win by. And he had that feeling of almost invincibility. It was just great. I I remember just a few years ago when he was in Gainesville, he lived in my neighborhood. And uh, my wife and I were taking a walk down the street one day. And way down there, probably 100 yards, I see this guy coming. And he's got no shirt on. That was July. It was hot. But this man got no shirt on walking down the street. And I, I said to my wife, I said, look at that guy. Look at that guy, he's got no shirt on. You know, it wasn't like he was a 20-year-old kid. And he'd come close, come close. And I said to my wife, I said, that's Steve. That's Steve, and he got. Clear. He's on his cell phone, and he walks right by and He goes, "Hey, Mick, Mick, I'll talk to you in a minute. I'm on the phone right now." <laughs> you know, he, we were going north; he was going south. We passed on the sidewalk. This was when he was the coach at South Carolina, but he still had a place, and he was there on the weekend. He'd spoken in Orlando or something the night before, and he'd spent the night in Gainesville. So he's, "I'll talk to you later." He was just so great to be around, and uh, I just love him to death. And uh, you know, I hated it when he came in the swamp, and we had to coach against him and play against him and everything. But you know, he's a Gator. All always, always has been, always will be, and uh, I'm happy for him that, you know, he's still got his health and he can enjoy this bit, but at the same time, it, it's sad to see him not coaching anymore.
1: What does it say about the reverence that Gator fans still have for him, that he could be the coach of a rival school within <laughs> the division and still be looked at the way he is? When Nick Saban goes to LSU, he does
0: not get received the way that Steve Spurger still does in Gainesville. I think the part of it is, you know, we had great pockets of success. We had great individual players, but really didn't have sustained success for a long period of time. And, you know, he turned it around. He revolutionized uh, the way football was played in the Southeastern Conference in the 1990s. He was so far in front, that offense. It took years Probably seven, eight, nine years for the league to kindly catch up to them a little bit as to what we were doing. I've had friends now in this town for 27 years, all, all the time I've been here, that grew up here and said, "Mick, you know, says you're the luckiest guy in the world to be announcing Florida now with Coach Spurrier here and we're winning championships." And you know, my dad never saw a championship, my grandfather never saw an SEC title, and now we have got one, we got another one, we got another one, we got another one, and uh, it was just Shangri-La is what it was, and it was just an unbelievable time. Like I think. That'll never, in my mind, ever be duplicated again. Getting to
1: the task this week, which is LSU, they weren't very good during Steve Spurrier's time. They're very good now. They have been since the turn of the century, and that's led to a lot of classic battles with them as well that you've been a part of. What are some that stand out to you?
0: When I was at school as a student at Illinois State, I was a radio play-by-play announcer doing baseball games, and we went on a spring trip down into Louisiana. Our coach had been from Louisiana, took us back on a spring trip back in the 1970s. And I remember we played LSU, and I went into Tiger Stadium. And I just looked at that, and I thought, wow, someday, 1989, 15 years later, I'm going to go to Tiger Stadium and, and do a game. And on the plane, I'm sitting next to one of our players. His name is about... 16, 17 letters long. And I asked him, how do you pronounce your name? He's a kicker. And he says, it's Arden Shashevsky. <laughs> I said, oh, like the basketball coach. He goes, yes. I said, okay, I'll never forget that. Well, he was our backup kicker. And lo and behold, we get in the game, and Emmett Smith is running left and running right, and it's a, it's a hard, slobber-knocker type of a game. And late in the game, we send this young kicker, Arden Sheshevsky, and he kicks the game-winning field goal in the final seconds, 16-13. And I'll never forget that night game. We went back two years later, shut them out, 16 uh, nothing, in the 1991 season. And in 1993, LSU has Curly hallman coaching, came from Southern Miss, and it was probably a dark spot in LSU history, really, because Curley didn't last very long, and we scored seemingly... Every time we had the football, and we beat them 58 to three in Tiger Stadium in 1993, and we are in the car driving back in the caravan to the airport to leave Baton Rouge after the game. We've got the call-in radio show on, and the fans were just upset. One fan called in and said, "I'd like to take Curley back behind my house and just give him a woodshed whooping." He said, "You know," and that's really what the Gators gave LSU that night. Uh, we beat them in '95 again, and then in '97 we went back as defending national champions, ranked number one in the country, and uh, we kind of had an off night through a couple of interceptions. I think one was a pick six, and they upset us 28-21, and they stormed the field, crashed down the goal post. We went back in, in, in 01. I remember Rex Grossman threw five touchdown passes, like 464 yards passing, had a tremendous game. We, we beat them badly. We went back in 2003, and they got an 80-yard punt return, in the first three minutes of the game We're down 7 nothing. And we ended up beating them, 19 to seven, and LSU wins the national championship that year. But that was a tremendous game that the Gators played, and all these games, the recent games I'm telling you about, are all day games. We we haven't played all that many night games in there. But in '05, when Urban came on, we lost by four points. We LSU had five turnovers and 11 penalties. And beat us by four points. Urban didn't have his offense quite stoked up as we would come to know it. Uh, We went back out there in 07. It did play a night game in 07. And that was the famous game in which Les Miles went five for five, I think it was, on, on fourth down. And they rallied. We had them down 10 points in the fourth quarter, and they had a fourth quarter rally and beat us. They were number one. We were number nine. And in an 9 went back for another night game. We beat them finally in, in 9 And it snapped LSU's 32-game home field winning streak in the 9 season. And that was the last night game we've been in because the last two trips, it's been daytime. And, uh, you know, we played young quarterbacks, and our offense wasn't quite ready to handle LSU. So uh, I- I've been there 13 times, and I think uh, only six of the 13 have been under the lights there.
1: College football can be a very transient business, and it also forces many to don colors they never would have imagined. Take Randy Shannon, for example, who is best known for both playing and coaching at Miami. But Shannon has traded the U for UF, and the first-year linebackers coach sat down with Jeff Cardozo to talk about all the elements that will come together on Saturday night
4: in Baton Rouge. We're excited. Big crowd, big fan. Uh, two teams that's ranked in the top 10 in the nation it's going to be a great atmosphere a great game to watch and see and and go out and just have fun with it
5: and that's the big part it's fun it seems like these guys are having a lot of fun obviously winning helps but going to practice like you, you guys preach that just just have fun and go out and execute right
4: that's the biggest thing that we try to do it's like anything else when you have a job or something that you like doing you're going to do it at full speed and you're going to give it your all and I think that's the one thing that we try to make with these young men is going out there to play go out and have fun execute have fun fly around enjoy the time that you have with the players on the team, but then also enjoy the time of being and playing the game that you chose to do and the choices that you made to put you in a situation.
5: Does how you practice now incorporate what's going to happen on Saturdays? Is that what it's all about?
4: I think that's the biggest thing. You know, big teaching moments that we use every week from starting back from the first game of the season to put ourselves in this situation now that we teach every week off of games that we play. And the teaching moment helped us get to this and where we need to be.
5: When you watch film and you, and you analyze things and, and stuff that's going on, you got to have a, a good game film against Tennessee, big running back, and what they were able to do. Now you're facing certainly a good one in Fournette. But they have other guys, too, that they're going to get after you.
4: I mean, they have, they have a conglomerate of a bunch of guys. You know, they got a three-headed monster, which I call three big-time tailbacks that are all about the same size, same speed, and very versatile. Those guys are big but they have great feet unbelievable footwork unbelievable cutting skills and those are things that we have to do on defensively we have to make sure we gang tackles surround the football and get 10 11 guys to the football it cannot be a one-hit wonder like one guy making a tackle got to make sure we have nine to 10 11 guys surrounding the football
5: and and as you teach swarming like what, what goes into that how do you make that happen
4: it's just a one we tell everybody that's something that you want to do that's something that you want to be a part of uh you cannot coach the effort and, and stuff of chasing the football and swarming. It's a thing that you have inside you, and intensity and the, the aggressive that you have to get to the ball and be the guy that may have made the hit, the turnover, the cause to change the momentum of a game.
5: You were a part of the atmosphere in the swamp a couple of weeks ago, old miss into town, and when you guys were on defense, places going nuts, everybody's yelling and screaming and so, so maybe up there it's not as loud on defense, but how important is communicating be, between you guys out there on defense?
4: It will be huge. It's the biggest thing that we always say on defense. If we all wrong, we all right. So if we make single something from the sideline and one guy may see it as something else. If we all play what that one guy say we play, we'll be all right. We'll be able to execute the defense. And I think that's the biggest emphasis that we've been trying to make this season is the communication factor. If we play the right defense and we're all on the same page, great things ahead for us.
5: We're talking about a couple of the linebackers. uh, Obviously the the big one, Antonio Morrison coming back. What was it like when when you first got him, when you showed up on campus, all the struggles that he had to now getting 15, 16 tackles a couple weeks ago?
4: Just sitting down and talking with him as a person. Just making him understand why I'm as a person, you know, not as a coach, as a person finding out about, a little bit about his life, where he wants to be, about his family. Had an opportunity last week to meet mom and dad after the game against Missouri and uh, just communicate with him and talking and finding out what he really wants to be and what he wants to do and he's a guy that really believes in, in giving it at all and uh, he worked hard coming off two knee injuries and worked his butt back, which we thought would be an eight month deal. He made it back so fast that we had to make sure that we was doing the right thing by him and not giving him a lot of different reps and situations, bringing back slowly where he can give us a chance to help himself for for the future but also help this university.
5: Coach, uh, a lot of the places you've been, I'm sure you've had a a couple of guys that are leaders. It seems like Jared Davis is that type of guy. When He's come in very vocal. He's, He's doing a nice job of getting everybody up.
4: He has. He's done a great job of, of getting us lined up on the football field, but also off the football field. He does a lot of great things about grabbing guys on the side and making them understand the importance of, hey, this coach may be on your heart, but it's a reason why he's on your heart. He's because he wants to see something in you that you may not want to put out. Give the coach a chance to get it out of you. Trust the coach. Believe in him. And he's been doing a great job for us as a, as a
5: team leader. Obviously, LSU is first and foremost going to try to run the ball, but a lot of teams in this league do that. What are some of the things that are going to maybe do to, to surprise you that you guys are going to have to be aware of?
4: I think gonna try to give a big play early i mean that's the one thing that you know playing against lsu and being a part of, of this this game type situation is the more big plays they want to create that's the big thing that we have to stop we can't not give up a big uh, deep ball. We cannot give up a big long run. Explosive plays are what we call them. Controlled explosive plays in this game and we'll be fine. If we don't control the explosive plays, then we're going to have a rough time.
5: Turnovers have been a big part of success too. I think you guys are plus eight right now. So that's a number you got to be smiling at.
4: We're smiling at. It. I don't think LSU has a turnover this season, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe one or two, but they're very big time and not, not giving the ball up. We are big and creating turnovers. So something has to give in that situation and that's going to come down to us chasing the football. Maybe the one. Or the second guy to get to the football, maybe the third guy come in and knock the power ball, pops loose, and we may get a turnover that way. Create the field position to where if we control the field position, maybe on special teams or stopping them on defense to make our offense have a short field and have their offense a long field, maybe big.
1: Finally, today, in the aftermath of his resignation and likely conclusion of his legendary college coaching career, we reflect back on Steve Spurrier's dominant reign in Gainesville by hearing from some of the former Gators molded by the head ball coach. First up, quarterback Shane Matthews, who had the distinction of being there from the very beginning of the Spurrier era. While today he's one of the most recognizable figures in sports, back
6: then Matthews remembers that Spurrier was hardly a household name. The first time he got the job, I didn't even, I'd never heard of him. Growing up in Mississippi, you know, but even when you got here, they didn't have all the trophies and all this stuff displayed. And I'd never even heard of Steve Spurrier. Didn't know who he was. When he was named the head coach, my dad and I watched the uh, All-American Bowl when Duke played Texas Tech. And I were like, man, this is right up your alley. But you never know if a coach is going to give you an opportunity. And he said in that uh, first meeting that uh, he did not care who you are or what you've done around here. Everybody's going to be given an equal opportunity to show what they can do. And it was true. I mean, really, I, I would not have played – 14 years in the NFL if it wasn't for him.
1: The two-time SEC Player of the Year credits Spurrier with helping make him the man he is today, in large part by doing things the right way on and off the field.
6: There's some people you play golf with that want to cheat and post a score. Why? You know, and and when you play with him, you're going to put everything out. He'll he'll know what your score is before you do. I mean, it's just play the game the right way. You know, there's, there's always a winner and a loser. You know, he believes in that, you know, we're not just going to play for fun. But he's just a genuine guy. He really is in his own quirky way. And uh, it, it was a blessing that I got to play for him.
1: Mike Peterson was an All-American linebacker for Florida in the mid-90s, and his favorite story proves that Spurrier was true to himself no matter what the
4: situation. The one I probably remember the most is when after we won it in 96, you know, you do the tour of the White House, and we went in and had a chance to meet the president and, you know, President Clinton, and we was taking, you know, the, the group photo, and I was standing right there behind the president, you know, feeling good, and we, we presented him with a jersey. On the front it had Gators, and on the front it had Clinton and you know, the president is holding his jersey up, and you know, classic Coach Spurry. I he tell the president, ah, turn around, turn around, turn around, turn around. I want to see the other side. The president, kind of, you know, yes, sir. You know what I mean? But that shows you the classic Coach You know, he's gonna say what he wants at any time. James Bates was another
1: linebacker in the 90s and is considered the foremost authority on Spurrier's stories and impressions by his former Gator teammates. He recalls the decade of dominance in the Swamp and Spurrier's refusal to conform to coaching norms. When he got here and things were just
0: popping you could see where he could go golf like i mean as, as he really got it rolling and you know he loved his golf game well where am i going to do it you know nick Sabins
1: of the world and everybody at this time you know they're they're out there grinding grinding the way i got it and you know if you tell
0: someone like uh, you know well zuka was a good example if you, if you told him no that just heated him up even more he was going to get you and he was a great recruiter the Spurrier, he had so so many good things going on, and everybody wanted a piece of it. Just so much that, like, if, if you were dragging your feet, shoot, we'll win without you. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to chase an 18-year-old kid around. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go
1: golf. And that was, I mean, it was the whole, we'll win without you. You know, it was uh, if someone got in trouble, yeah, shoot, well, down there, uh, being out past 2 o'clock, that's not good, hitting
3: people with uh, pull cues. We'll win without him.
1: We'll be all right. <laughs> If you're hungry for even more classic stories about Steve Spurrier, the complete interviews with Shane Matthews, Mike Peterson, James Bates, and more are available on GatorZone.com. And that's going to do it for this week's show. Remember to tune in on Saturday night at 7 o'clock on ESPN for the Battle of Unbeatens in Death Valley as Florida takes on LSU. You can also listen live on the Gator IMG Sports Network with pregame coverage beginning at 4 o'clock Eastern time live from Baton Rouge. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday, and since it's during the bye week, we'll give you a football fix while also shining a light on some other Gator sports as well. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, thanking you for joining us for Gator Tales.